Welcome to the Sports Carnage Podcast, presented by Detroit Sports Nation, featuring Paul Roshan, D. Dylan Bear, and Ryan Griffin, delivering the most arrogant takes on the planet straight to your ears. We don't promise to always be right, but we promise to act like we are. What's up, loyal listeners? Welcome to Sports Carnage, along with Dylan Bear and Ryan Griffin. I'm Matt Basson. No Paul Roshan for this week. Uh, probably not for a couple weeks. And uh, we're thankful for that. <laughs> <laughs> and Kevin Durant's back. He hit his first three, he hit his second three, and he's down again and out for the series. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but first, we've got ourselves the best two words in all of sports. On the ice, Game 7. The Boston Bruins fought off the St. Louis Blues in the Blues' backyard, dropping goal after goal after goal in the third period to put that team away, force a Game 7 back in Boston. The Red Sox have recognized it, moved their start time of their game up from 7 o'clock to 4 o'clock because the puck drops at 8 o'clock and they know everyone in that town, the best sports town in America right now, is ready to watch both of these games. Dylan, I know you hate one of these teams with a passion. I don't know how you feel about the other one so much, but we've got the best two words in all the sports. I know you hate one of these teams, but are you going to be watching Game 7? So, you are incorrect on two counts. Number one, the two best words in sports are Michigan loses. But, aside from that, Yes, I I absolutely despise the St. Louis Blues, the city of St. Louis, as all Chicago Cubs fans and Chicago sports fans in general. No, there's nothing to do in St. Louis. If you don't understand that reference, go on Reddit. You will understand what it means. And uh, the city of Chicago hates St. Louis and everything that it stands for, which is nothing because it's a trash-ass city. And I'm not going to watch it because if the Blues win, I'm going to be pissed off. And if the Bruins win, I know they're not going to win with class because Brad Marchand is going to, you know, sexually assault the back of somebody's head again. Whoa! Like, Slander! I, I just, I, I, there's no... Salacious. There is no reason for anybody who is a, who is not a fan of either of these teams to watch, partially because this series, despite the moniker of a Game 7, is very much in the same vein as what 2016 was for the NBA, where each game wasn't really all that close. And you can hope that the last game is going to be a lot better, which, to be fair, the NBA Game 7 was... But I don't think that's going to be the case with this. I think the Blues are going to get destroyed, rightfully so, because they're the Devils, and they're going to get beat by the Devils themselves. So, well, I mean, look, I think a lot of your hatred here comes from the fact that the Cardinals have eaten your Cubs' lunch for like the better part of your entire lifetime. I'm, so, I'm sorry, uh, who who has won a game in these series this year? Because I'm pretty sure the Cardinals haven't won a game against the Cubs in 2019. For most of your life, the Cardinals were beating the ever-living crap out of the Cubs and a lot of other baseball teams for that who's, matter. Who's got the most but recent World Series? The St. Louis Blues were like the worst team in hockey I don't care. in like January. They are awful. The and city... they are here now, one win away from their first Stanley Cup. The city has an unfinished circle as its dying attraction. Awesome. Let's just nuke it and get everything done with. Ryan, you're not a hockey person to, per se, uh, but 
Game 6 of the NBA Finals is not until Thursday. So are you going to be watching Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it probably won't be anything else to watch because the, the NBA is not on. But I'll be watching. I watched last year when the Capitals took it home um, because I enjoyed Yeah, but you had your boy Ovechkin on that one. I did. That was my man's. But I do like Chara, so... When I played How? NHL Man 14 with a the lot. broken How jaw. Who when I played NHL 14, plays. I was the Bruins. So I was playing with Chara. What is uh, wrong with you? Who, I don't even know oh who else God. they had on that team. A bunch of names I can't pronounce. Um, but they were lit. We would run, uh, me and my roommates would run online through like three, like team versus team, but it was three users on each. It was fun. So that's, uh, that's my connection to the Bruins. Bruins are awful. They're not well, as bad. Obviously, as obviously not. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, like they're bad guys. Like you like How Sedano. are they bad guys? Dude. How is Patrice Bergeron a bad guy? Oh my god. Okay, dude, you know Brad Marchand's history. I don't he, need to explain he's, it. He's a pest on the ice. That doesn't make him a bad guy. He's a bad human being. I bet that How is he, he a bad drowns puppies. Being? Is Look. he Kellen Winslow Jr.? Okay. How is he a bad human being? You had to go and turn it real. And now I don't have an answer to that. <laughs> except for to say that I would guess that the majority of the Boston Bruins probably grew up in the city of St. Louis. That's why they're so <laughs> awful. So, I mean, St. Louis Well, is... we know Zdeno Chara did not grow up in the city of St. Louis. That is, that is true. He did get shot like he was in it, though. Right, right in the jaw. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that was a puck to the face that I, I don't know how anyone says, okay, I'm still going to play the next game and hold your press conference as well with your jaw wired shut and writing down your answers for them. Like hockey cats are just a different breed of athlete. Yeah. It's like the, I forget the, the homie, but in like the first game when he got his helmet knocked off and then he just ran down the ice and just decked an MFR. That was crazy. Uh, is that Tory Krug? I think it was Tory yes, Krug. Yep, 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 that's who it is. Uh, you know what? It's just like St. Louis to not be able to take a hit. Or win in home or win at home. Or win in okay. general. Now, you said this that this series is a lot like the Warriors and the Cavaliers from twenty sixteen. But to the be sense, fair, there have in... been three close games. The Blues have won them all. This series is a lot more like the Yankees and Diamondbacks back in 2001, where when the, Diamondbacks won, <laughs> when the Diamondbacks won, they beat the ever-living crap out of the Yankees. When the Yankees won, they were all very close baseball games. Here, when the Bruins win, they win. Like, St. Louis falls apart. When St. Louis has won, the Bruins aren't, haven't played great, but they've always been within striking distance. So, I guess my my what's... A more important question of whether you're going to watch or not is whether you think that the Blues are going to win it or not. Which, while they've been great on the road, I believe they're 9-3, and three, if I'm not mistaken, in the playoffs on the road. The problem is, is that in a closeout game, you getting decked like that, I just don't see how there's any chance they're going to win tomorrow. There's just no way. Well... I mean, homeboy that was suspended for game six for his hit in game five that they were so pissed about that was not called that helped St. Louis win the game uh, in Boston is back for game seven. So they're back to full strength. They're pretty close to it. And to me, the bigger question is Bennington, your rookie goaltender in game seven of the championship. He has not been great. He hasn't been terrible. 
His save percentage could be a little better. It's at 90. You know, Tuca's at 925. His goal against is definitely up there. But again, this is a rookie who, and is a big part of, maybe the biggest part of the reason that St. Louis is where they are right now, still playing hockey when every other team sans the, sans the Bruins is not. Mm-mm-mm. I, I, don't, I don't know, man. I, I can't do it. Rask has been really solid as well, ever since his rookie year, when he was backing up Tim Thomas, and you know. Yeah, but Rask got, oh, yeah, got the he you was know, in he NHL 14, too. I, he missed oh, you don't an say. elimination game in the playoffs a couple years back for stomach poisoning, food poisoning, something like that, stomach sickness, and people were questioning his heart. He has definitely given up soft goals and has been, you know, had these questions about him. And following up Tim Thomas, who literally stood on his head to help the Bruins win that cup against Vancouver in 2011. And he stood on his head to not see Obama either. We don't hear yeah, well, talk, that's a different situation. That. But his play in that his play that year might have been the greatest year in the history of a goalkeeper because he won the gold medal in the Olympics and then won the Stanley Cup as well. And he was, I mean, they had very good defense, but everyone in Boston remembers how Tim Thomas played in those playoffs altogether because he was the epitome of a hot goalkeeper can win you a cup, and he was as hot as they came that year. So you have to follow that up, and... Tuca's been good. He's an absolutely a top 10 goaltender in the NBA, top five in, in a lot of years. NBA, but he NBA. hadn't – NBA, Jesus Christ, in the NHL. Um, but he hasn't cleared that hump yet. And now he is one game away where he has played – he is the better of the two goaltenders in this series. Hands down, he has played better than Bennington. Absolutely. I'm just saying, like, if you watch these goals that were happening in game five, there are at least three of them. That Bennington just looks lost. He missed you mean game six in game six. Yeah, the first goal in particular. Like I don't know how the hell he lets that leak through. And then the third one when he's just coming across and looks lost, getting the splits while a guy's casting across the crease. I no, nah, I, I I think this young buck is gonna crumble under the pressure. I think St. Louis is not gonna win another title. Thank all all of the deities out there for that. And, uh, yeah, I think Boston is going to win yet another title, which I guess kind of sucks because they don't need more of them. But I'd rather go to Boston than St. Louis. That's for damn sure. Well, if there's one team in Boston that could use a few more cups to, you know, get to the level of their, you know, other teams in the same city, it is the Boston Bruins. Yeah. Well, no, the Rangers need it a lot more. (laughs) A lot more. who? The New York Rangers? They, no, what? They, no, I was talking about the Celtics oh, <laughs> with their 17 I thought, championships. I, the Red Sox, who have been the best team in the 21st century, and the right. Patriots, who have owned football since 2001. I, I, in my head, I was thinking Original Six, which of oh, all no. of them, the Rangers needed by far the most. That's just crazy to think on its own right. Anyway, okay, so you think the Bruins are going to win. You got a score? It's going to be like 5-2, 6-2, something like that. Okay. Ryan? Jesus. 4-3. Oh, Brew Crew? 4-3 in 4-3. I like it. <laughs> Did you say Brew Crew? You're rooting for Milwaukee? Boston's Bruins, baby. The Brewskies. <laughs> That's right, so not we got, their name. <laughs> so we got, we got the seven themes going on here of 5-2 and 4-3. Uh, I'm going to say it's a tighter game where goaltending is at a premium. And I'm going to say 3-1 with an empty netter for the Boston Bruins. Hey, there we go. 
all order is restored. They can go back to thinking the Cardinals are relevant in the 21st century. Let's go. They have won a few World Series in the 21st century. Hey, hey, hey. If Nelson Cruz doesn't mess up that routine fly ball, they wouldn't have another one, and we'd be tied. So I don't want to hear it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. This this has already happened. It's been done. And they whooped the ever-living crap out of us in 2006. <laughs> yeah, sure. That, that, that's great. That's great. If we hadn't made 25 errors in five games, we might have actually won. Dude, Nelson Cruz got the ball hit right on his freaking head. It literally hit him right well, on you, the you noggin. You catch it with your head. No, True. but No, my point is is that if he had just been able to play it right instead of looking like an utter fool, then the city of St. Louis wouldn't be sitting there, you know, jerking David Freeze for 40 years. God. Chris Bryant's 60 times the player that guy is. Anthony Rizzo's there it is. way better there hitter. There it is, my... I was right. Hey. It is all about the Cardinals yeah. and the Cubs. Y- Yadier Molina ain't crap to, Will- to William Contreras. Let's go, man. No, okay, now that one, you smoking something. (laughs) You talking about one of the best catchers maybe ever, definitely of his generation. Yadier Molina has taught the generation how to play the position of catcher. Uh, You know what? I don't care. He's working for the Dirty Birds. I don't give a shit. And he's by far the best of the trio of Molinas in the the major leagues. That is true. I won't deny that. All right. I think we've lost Ryan far enough into this conversation. All right, and from the hockey rink to the basketball court, we have game six in the NBA where Kevin Durant made a brief, called a cameo appearance in this finals uh, against better judgment of a lot of people, not the ones questioning his heart, but actually seeing that this man is not healthy and there's a reason he hasn't been back and it had nothing to do with contract talk and what team he was going to and all that crap. Uh, you saw it firsthand. We all saw it firsthand. That leg quake. And then Durant dropping the ball, dropping to the ground, and grabbing his Achilles. And this is the worst thing that could have happened. While it's great for Warriors fans that they have won the ch- the game and have forced it to go back to Oakland for their last game ever, no matter what, at Oracle Arena, Kevin Durant is done for a year, most likely. You look at the numbers of how many days it takes for people to come back from this, and they're all north of 250. Kobe was the fastest of the modern era at 280 days. Kobe, much mm-hmm. older than Kevin Durant, Wrecked the Lakers franchise. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Came back and was still a very good player, was not the player he was. You can throw father time in that that equation as well from his age and when the injury actually happened. But this is arguably the best player in basketball right now. Going down in what was supposed to be the summer of Durant. Well, not right now. He only has one leg. (laughs) Exactly. So, Ryan, you've been on this train like we all have been since the whole pulling himself out and being hurt against the Rockets and all the speculation of the team talk. Uh, what do you think of this situation regarding KD? I mean, it's the the worst thing that could possibly happen, not even just from like a final standpoint, from everything that he has going forward, because now he has some options. He was probably going to take what a lot of superstars take minus like LeBron with the Lakers and do some type of, you know, one and one deal in free agency just to keep maximizing your opportunity to make money. But now if your team 
going to give him that one and one. You get a full year without Kevin Durant. And he might not even come back in the next playoffs for you, depending on if your team like the Knicks or if Kevin Durant is the only guy that you land. You know, you're not going far in the playoffs. Obviously, if he's not playing, you're probably going to be in the lottery still. And then if you're a team like Golden State, uh, I heard, I think it was Conley Coward talk about it earlier. Like, he can opt out of that and then have, and then sell. they'll offer him like a five-year max as sort of like a, almost like a gift. Like, hey, you've meant so much to our franchise. We know you and Draymond don't see eye to eye. Draymond's going to be gone probably after next year. We can get another ring here, and you might be able to come back for, like, next year's finals. But then, you know, we're going to start retooling the team around you and Steph, and then sometime in that time frame, you know, Clay probably leaves too, and they just build the team around Steph and KD and just try and throw pieces there. But, I mean, it really sucks for him, and then obviously it sucks for the finals because you were hyped for Game 5 because Kevin Durant was coming back, and he played super well, and he was there 3 of 3 from 3. I think it's 3 or 5 from the field. Um, well, 11 points in, like, 12 minutes. So he was doing work. He was, you know, maybe the best player on the floor, uh, even just in those short 12 minutes that he played. And then the video of it is just so nasty, too, because you can, like, see it snap. Uh, sort of like a rubber band, and I don't like that they played it so many times for something mm-hmm. that gruesome, which they don't don't usually do, and usually they don't show things if it's like an ankle, you know, turned the wrong way or something. Um, but that footage is just it's just hard to watch. So it sucks for them. Obviously, it sucks for the Warriors, for KD, and just for basketball fans in general, because now you're going to get you know a whole nother probably at least regular season without Kevin Durant playing basketball, which is a shame to anybody watching. Well, you saw the same injury with Boogie as far as the replay. You watched it roll up his quad, you know, when he went down, So, which is why I'm still stunned that he's even playing in this series. But you think Kevin Durant was going to do a kind of one-on-one contract going forward, not like a four-year deal for like 135 mil or nothing like that, huh? Yeah, I mean, he gets to keep his his future in his own hands. And mm-hmm. every, every year he's going to make the maximum amount of money. Anyway, the only thing that could derail it is if you have an injury like this and then you get up there in age and someone's like, actually, we're not going to pay you that anymore because it doesn't make sense to pay you $35 million for one year when you're not going to play or even when you're older and you have all this injury history. So now he might decide so to go get a for long-term like deal security. Now? No, because Boogie only got like $5 million. So Kevin Durant still can. Uh, I think. I don't know. I think teams are going to be a little bit more hesitant to offer um, I think it changes Durant's plans. So not that not that teams will be hesitant to offer three, four, five years, um, but I think before that's probably not where KD was thinking, right? He's gonna do the one and one, where he can opt mm-hmm. in the second year, but he just keeps maximizing his dollars as the years go on. But now I think that becomes less likely of an option for him, and uh, at least the teams have a little bit more leverage to play the long game where we're going to sign you for three or four years um, and it's going to give you the financial security. So if you get hurt like this again, right, you'll still be making money, but it also gives us the security of not having to play this. Where is KD going every summer game? Mm-hmm. So do you think, do you think his best move now is to stay at Golden State for one more year? I mean, I thought his best move always was to stay in Golden State. So, I mean, because still, still the Why same. Why the hell yes. would you leave? And he can make the most money there. Dylan, you're, unusually quiet on this what are your thoughts on the kevin durant situation i don't i'll be honest i don't 
really care. I kind of think that Kevin. Right, what are your thoughts sleep. on the Canadian fans cheering no, when Kevin Durant? Oh, went down. oh, oh, he loved that. No, he no, didn't no, care. No. Just like the Canadian fans didn't. They just <laughs> no, waved by no. to him on the TV screen. No, Ryan and I were together for when that was happening and stuff. I was not. Dylan cheering. said, "Stay down." I, uh, okay, has there I'll ever been a bigger Achilles switch <laughs> in one in a complete 180 or 360 in Dylan's math of the way that a group of people and one person in, in in particular was viewed where people were hating on Drake for all the antics and everyone loves Canadians they're all polite and all this other crap and then all of a sudden everyone is hating on Canada but loving Drake for being real about Katie's injury and, oh, and yeah, man. actually distraught shook. on his own. He was he was shook. That was I, I was a big fan of that, and I've, I like Drake's antics on the sideline because, like, I like when Spike Lee did it, too. And I also like when players Spike like... Spike Lee wasn't like, giving the head coach a massage during the... <laughs> no, 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 yeah, he was doing worse. He was talking crap to Reggie Miller, and then Reggie Miller sniped his ass. And I like well, that, yeah. too. Like, I like the, the, the give back, you know, because that's what the NBA is all about, you know? It, let's yeah, not the give back. Ron Artest going into the stands when you throw something Well, no, him. but I just mean, like, <laughs> out, uh, other... throwing shit at him. Other sports try to ignore the connection. And with the NBA, with these players, you know, talking with these celebrities and whatever, to me, it humanizes them in a way that you don't see in other sports. So I like it because it shows a more human side of Drake. Because when you're in the heat and throes of seeing your favorite team and stuff, or in the Kevin Durant situation, that's more real than Drake has probably been in the public than any time we've seen in a while. So I like that sort of thing. That's pretty cool. And Kyle Lowry, he's sitting there telling Toronto fans to chill out too. Totally with that as well. Um, in terms, oh of, yeah, I mean, with the players, it's a brotherhood, right? Well, it doesn't matter what jersey they're wearing. Except I wish for the they hated each, hate each other. other. I wish they hated each other more. But in I know, that but in today's day and age, it's a brotherhood. These guys have been playing AAU ball together and all this other crap for all these yeah. years. They know each other personally, not just on the court. And so you have friendships now that you didn't have exploited as much in earlier days of the NBA. But the bigger picture thing, and Ryan makes a a perfectly salient point there that it ruins any chance of a one-in-one deal. I didn't even think about that, and that's a brilliant point on his part. Um, But I'll be honest, I didn't really care about anything that Kevin Durant does. He's one of the most inconsequential major stars I've ever seen in sports because he hitched his ride to a team that already was winning without him and he got his titles and he got his MVPs and they're diminished because of the team he played on and he was going to run off to New York before this injury and not do crap anyway and now this injury just means that he lingers around Golden State until he's fine and leaves again like I just I don't know it just it sucks as from a human to human standpoint because it's like your prime he's losing a year of that that sucks but in terms of big picture nba i'm kind of glad it's gone because there are a lot more interesting storylines than where kevin durant was going to waste away the rest of his career i don't think there are any more interesting storylines than where (laughs) kevin durant was going to go it's the only one who's really been talked about all year of where is he going to go. But I like, also all of a sudden, think like, that's Chris a mis- Paul got talked about because there was like news from Houston that they were willing I to mean, trade anybody not named right. James Harden. Ky- but Kyrie's it's been, been Kevin Durant either. all season. Yeah, yeah Kev- Kyrie a little bit at, like halfway through the season. I didn't say going, most right. talked about. KD I said most interesting because I really like the thing about, oh, he's going to go to New York. I'm like, cool, he's going to go to New York and do what? The same thing Car- 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 Carmelo Anthony did? 
Like, come on now. Like, going to well, New no, York but, is But it was the sense. idea of pairing him with a Kyrie. Which Kyrie wasn't ilk. even aboard for. The two teams that mm, he's been We don't know what Kyrie's with. been aboard for. <laughs> okay, everything that we've heard is that he was either going to go back to LeBron or sign with the Nets. So, I mean, everything you heard before that was Knicks, though. Look. So who knows? But him and KD are apparently, like, best friends. They forged this this weird relationship with each other over the last, like, year. That doesn't mean they have to play together, but I just I don't care. I don't care. I didn't care where he went before, and now that he's going to be staying in Golden State because he's hurt, I don't care now. And I'm more interested to see about what happens before the draft with Anthony Davis and the fallout from that way more than anything involving Kevin Durant and or what Daryl Morey. Like the Knicks, they don't like the Knicks offer. Yeah, to today they're saying the Lakers are the front runners. But I hope, and I'm also uh, interested I, to see what Daryl Morey does. Well, I hope New Orleans is just uh, New Orleans is just playing the Lakers again, just for funsies. <laughs> Putting out that reports that. that like they're the front runner, <laughs> like with no intentions of dealing with them. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say on that. I mean, I don't really know what else there is to add outside the fact that you're 100 percent right. There's no no chance. He goes anywhere else because he's not going to sign that long-term deal. So he's going to just get his money in Golden State for the next year, just chill, take a year off, do a Le'Veon Bell maybe, and then who knows? He's probably in with one of the two New York teams next year. I mean, I think someone will still offer him. Like the Knicks will offer him the max that they can. It's not they as they much can as offer the all can. they want. It doesn't mean he's going to take it. I know, but I don't think there's no chance that he takes it. I just think it's, it's less likely now that he does a one-and-one. But he still could. I mean, he could still even do that with Golden State. Come back in, like, next year and win the finals MVP with only playing in the finals. Ryan, do you think the Warriors would make an offer that is, like, partially a, sorry, we totally messed this up nope. by n- even allowing you to think you could play when you couldn't? No, because I think they were no going to offer him that. Anyway, so Matt, Matt is saying, like, an apology offer where he still gets big money. Hell yeah. He's not saying they're going to lowball him. No, I'm but, aware. I don't think that the Warriors are run poorly enough to do something so stupid. Run poorly enough right now to be do something so stupid as let a guy who obviously had Achilles problems. You think play that was their call? Have. I mean, that, the Warriors no are the chance. the one team with like if with you the don't get cleared that can by the team, you can't one. play. So it's like, absolutely their call. It was not. Like they could do what they did with Boogie this year and wait until the conference finals next year, even the finals, and. Because you're not adding KD to another Western Conference team. So the Warriors could very realistically get back there and then insert KD then and then have another year of him maybe opting in, having another change of heart. Uh, you know, just kind of who knows what happens there. But the Warriors are the one team that I think could have the luxury of offering him a one and one But I think they were going to offer him really whatever he wanted anyway, whether he wanted a five-year deal for maximum security down the line or whether he wanted to control his destiny a little bit more and go the one-to-one route. I think they were going to play ball with whatever he wanted. I see this relationship way differently than you two do, apparently. Yeah, Bob Myers crying. Yeah, because there's <laughs> he's the one making the offer. that's going to be going down, not because he's sad. He's pissed off. This is this looks bad on his organization, and it makes his negotiating even harder now. And I, 
if I were running that team, I'd say, dude, that's... If, well, first off, I don't see how you two can believe that the Warriors are the reason he played. It's 100% a power play by him and his agent. And I didn't say the Warriors are the reason he played. Ned did. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't say the reason he played. I said, let him play. No, dude, it, it, there was no chance he wasn't playing in Game 5. It didn't matter what the Warriors said. He was playing. That was a power play by him and his agent, and it backfired on him. But me, as a, if I'm running the Warriors, I'm not going to sit there and then pull my pants down because you decide to screw yourself. That's your decision. It sucks, but that's on you. I got a business to run, and you're going to... It's on the team letting him play. I don't think the Warriors were definitely... It's on the organization making him active. Like, they were definitely happy. Regardless if it was a power play or not, they weren't pushing back. Like, you know what, Kevin, you got to sit. But you can't sit there and then turn around and then go, oh, man, now we got to give you this money because we're sorry that you injured yourself. This is what I'm saying. When the injury first happened, there were immediate whispers of Achilles. They went with calf with the story, and then the calf took longer and longer and longer. Longer than a calf usually takes to heal in this situation and with an athlete of this caliber. And so now the talk went back to, well, maybe it's not really the calf and it is the Achilles like we first thought. And so with those whispers out there and with that evidence out there of how long this injury was taking and not seeing any basketball from KD in this time period, it looked more and more like this was an Achilles injury. Why are you even risking this man's career with an Achilles injury? Why do you keep saying they? It's not... Their call. This is it is their call his. to let someone play for them or not. Oh, man. I don't care if the guy says, I'm healthy, I can play. If you review everything and say, no, actually you can't, then he's not playing. We're just not going to agree on this because there is so much more player agency than how you're, you're depicting this, in my opinion. But it's fine. It's whatever. We disagree on it. We will see. Time will tell. This reeks of the Kawhi situation all over again. And the Spurs screwed themselves in the process in the reverse way. But you can't be held hostage by a player like that. You you just can't. So in, He injured himself. It was his call. And the Warriors aren't going to sit there and tell him no because they're going to trust the player because they don't want to do what the Spurs did. And so they let him play. He injured himself. Sucks. We'll pay you the extra year since you already are on contract. But after that, dude, get get out of here. We got a court, guys, that you clearly can't gel with as it is. Get out of here. That's what I would All right, well, KD is done. The Warriors are not done because in the waning seconds of Game 5, Kyle Lowry turned into Carlton Banks at Bel Air Academy and put up a buzzer-beating shot that hit the side of the backboard. You mean that was and blocked. And has been roasted ever since. That was blocked. Oh, it was blocked, Mr. Bears fan. What? Is that right, Double Doink? What are you getting mad? Where are you getting all at, <laughs> all at me for? It's literally video evidence. Don't get, what is this? I'm being personally attacked. What's happening? <laughs> oh, I just find this hilarious that you, of all people, who were so angry at your kicker for the miss against Philadelphia... Ignoring the fact that it was tipped at the line is coming to Kyle Lowry's defense on a Draymond kicker. Green block with his fingertips. I made that very clear. Oh, you, mean the, you mean the worst shot in NBA history? Oh my god! <laughs> this is black. The dude. side of the backboard or the back Will of the backboard? Will you stop? He both. Oh they hit the side, then hit the back. You clearly... That's how bad of a shot it was. It had Ryan, some Kawhi Ryan, Leonard spin on it to be able to actually oh, do that. Oh my god! You know what? 
First off, Kawhi shouldn't have passed out of there anyway. I don't know what the are hell you, he was doing. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? He has, He's like, the entire Warriors Clay team on Andre. him. <laughs> no, he dribbled into the double team. Like, he, you needed to but do But, yeah, he's trying else. to force the action and then realize I'm about to get hit with a charge call as opposed to a foul. And so I'm kicking it out. I needed him with much better control of the situation than what he showed. But What? Do you practice that shot? <laughs> oh, those memes were... That they was, were ready. Yeah. They, they're the worst Lowry. because it's so you shared the video, the, the photo evidence. It's so clear that Draymond, he got a good chunk of that it, shot. It's so funny, though. It doesn't matter about the photo evidence. <laughs> this, uh, is, this is the, Mr. The choke com- in the playoffs the choking. It. And the worst part is everybody's like trashing him like that. Kyle Lowry's played relatively well this finals. Relatively been, well yeah. is your choice wording. Well, because from three, he hasn't been great, but he's been aggressive. This has been a multiple-time All-Star point guard. What about him? He's, play, he's played, shown up. Who is known for choking in the postseason for the last four years. Does he really have years. multiple All-Stars? God damn, the East. Does he? I think he does, right? He has to. Man, what is it's this? The it might be a reserve, but uh, <laughs> but I'm still it's still an All-Star. Does, look, it doesn't matter, because by the time this gets out, the, the, the finals will have been won by the North. Oh. So... Yeah, we're, we're good. Let's just move on, Ryan. So counting the Warriors out, game six in Oakland. That emotional low on top of that, Toronto plays really well on the road, and the supporting cast in game five played like crap, and they're right. not going to do that Five-time All-Star. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I told, yeah, it. multiple-time All-Star. He is one of the better point guards in the East, but in the postseason, I when bet it he's matters, never been in the three-point contest. Ew. <laughs> uh, okay. All right, can we move on to the ghost? No, I don't we can't move on because it. we got Game Six on Thursday. You mean the thing that have, will have already happened? Because we're speaking to people who already have knowledge of the occurrence. Thank you for explaining how time works to me. I appreciate that. <laughs> Ryan, Game even Six, when, even when in Paul's Oakland. gone, he's with us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, at least I do my cuts. You know. All right, Ryan, Game Six in Oakland. Clay's healthier. Boogie's healthier. Does this team force a Game 7 back in Toronto? <laughs> Spoiler alert, no. They force a Game 7, and then they win the Game 7. Let's go. Oh, you got them still, huh? You biased. got them winning it all still. You're so biased. Oh, my goodness. It's so, so full. And they're going to rescind Draymond's technical <laughs> so that he can get one next game and not get suspended for Game 7. <laughs> so full. Lies. The truth is what it is. No, and- Hey, the truth is sitting there shitting himself before the finals, all right? That is not what this is. <laughs> no, it was the, during the finals. The I need truth a can hit the rim on a game-winning shot. Uh, Dylan, you think this is over in six? I, I You know, it's crazy because it already happened, but yes, it is over. And it's going to be great. And we, we I, you know what? I may just take Ryan to the... To the uh, the parade that they're going to have. They're going to run it all the way from Toronto, all the way down to Windsor. They're going to go along the coast, and I, Ryan and I will be on Belle Isle, and they'll just wave. Wave to Ryan. Hey, <laughs> how's it going, bitch? We won. And then they'll just go back to Toronto. It'll be great. And then Kawhi's going to be in my, my Luke Kennard t-shirt jersey with a sign <laughs> up that says 3-0. <laughs> Subtle victories. Oh, that's great. But uh, I personally am a Steve Kerr fan, so I got to think that the longer this series goes, the more it goes in favor of Steve Kerr and his ability to make adjustments to figure out how to score on this team and stop this team. And being at home, I think we get a hot Steph. I think we get a hot Clay. And 
I think this thing's going back to Canada for Game 7. I don't think Kawhi gets enough help in Game 6 for the Raptors to win this game. I think we are having a Game 7, which is about the only thing that could save this series right now with all the craziness that has happened in this series, is to stretch it all the way to a 7 games. Alrighty. Gentlemen, I have come across a rare find, an albino piece, if you will, in the sports world. An ESPN series that isn't actual trash or attacking MSU for no reason. And 30 for 30 says what? That's exact. What if I were to tell you that ESPN actually did journalism in 2019? <laughs> ESPN has this series, uh, and they're calling it Chasing Ghosts. Uh, ESPN said they will be taking a closer look at programs that have faced the challenge of moving on from a a big historical coach. Think, uh, you know, UCLA and uh, John Wooden. This is college basketball programs. And so they went through and there are seven schools. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through each of them. I'm going to give a summary. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to give a summary of each school. And we're going to discuss whether or not they are able to catch the ghost or if they are still haunted by it. And the first one, the aforementioned one, the biggest example by far of any program is the UCLA Bruins. And they are trying to outpace the iconic John Wooden who was there from 1949 to 1975. His accomplishments and the thing that has been shrouding this program for a long time, 10 National titles, 12 Final Fours, and an absurd 80.8 winning percentage. So, we, gentlemen, we have UCLA to start. So the question becomes, are they going to be able to catch the ghost or are they haunted by the legend himself forever? The short answer is no. You've got a guy who won a ridiculous number of titles, owned an era of college basketball, has multiple undefeated seasons, and some of the greatest players of all time came from his tutelage. But it was also a very long time ago, and the scene in basketball has changed multiple times over since that time period. Uh, The long answer is, can they get back to title prominence? I think the answer is yes, but they need help. I think the Pac-12 has done them no favors whatsoever with their old school thinking of having commercial airline flights for players and coaches, including recruiting, uh, while the big boys out east, the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, they don't do that anymore. They have ponied up the money to get these guys private jets and what they need to go get the players they need to bring in the money that they need. And the Pac-12 has done themselves no favors in this part by being cheap and thinking old school ways when it's time to start paying for it and they refuse to do so. And you saw that with UCLA's head coaching search this season. They refuse to pony up the money. Where does that come from? It comes from the conference. The, the school doesn't want to do it. It's old school thinking on the school's part. The conference doesn't want to do it either. And so they're doing themselves no favor. Eventually, that's going to change. It has to if the Pac-12 is still going to be a conference 10 years from now. It has to change. They have to get with the times. They have to start spending the money and giving the privileges to these ridiculously overpaid coaches to bring in the players they need to get back to where they want to be. Ryan, what about you? No. Only because Wooden did so much. So even if they win, you know, back-to-back national titles, that John Wooden ghost is still going to haunt them because the success that he had 
will never be duplicated by anybody in college basketball. So where Matt said the short answer was no, that's right. Like, they'll never be able to catch that. Can they get back to national relevance? Yes, it just won't be at that level, which is what I'm sure the ESPN piece was talking about and was the the question you were framing um, was will they ever get back to all-time elite status. And that I don't think will happen. But with uh, a change to, and Matt brought up, you know, not wanting to pay the higher tier coaches, you know, a change in the uh, in the athletic director uh, could go a long way. Get the right coach in there, um, you know, pay one of those those higher tier guys uh, what they want to be paid. And even if you can't get like the one tier, if you have someone in tier two that's still better than what you're currently getting, get some of those recruits in there. Uh, get a stronger pipeline to the NBA than you have right now, and I can see them coming back up and you know, not rising from the ashes, uh, but being a team that you look at every year as someone who's going to go to an Elite Eight, a Final Four, a team like that where you know you're you're now expecting them to make deeper runs in the tourney instead of you know either just barely making it or not making it at all, as has been the case the last couple of years. My opinion on UCLA is already well established. I think there has been program that is going to be stuck in the past forever. Uh, as we've articulated multiple times and as Matt has said uh, far more concretely, I think the Pac-12 in general is just so far behind the other leagues. And in basketball in particular, the Big Ten and the ACC already have done a lot. But the SEC clearly has is not clowning around either. I don't see the space for UCLA to become something again with all of these disadvantages. On top of that, UCLA just strikes me as this school that is kind of in the same way as Michigan was for a time, where they were far more interested in the ghost itself, in John Wooden in the history, than creating something new, something that can be you know, uh, that John Wooden would be proud of rather than John Wooden himself. And that's why I think that in both circumstances of the framing of this question, I think it's no across the board. And it's kind of that weird juxtaposition of so much success created such failure. And I don't think there's any way that's going to change. See, it's funny because UCLA, they did do something different. They did try something different with Steve Lavin. Steve Lavin, more of a Pat Riley-looking kind of head coach as far as the way he dressed, uh, the slick back hair. Uh, he was fiery. He had a bit of a personality, and that worked really well in the 90s. But it didn't yield enough winning in his time with them, You know, despite the fact that you know he won twice as many games as he lost, basically. But it wasn't enough to ever reach a Final Four. His last season was disastrous, uh, but they did try doing something different, and now they're bringing in your guy, Dylan, your guy, Dylan, from Cincinnati, Mick Cronin. He's he's not his guy anymore because he went to UCLA. Six and nine in the last nine years in the NCAA tournament. That means he's made it every year for the last nine years. he's lost in every first round, if I'm not mistaken. That's not true. He's six and nine. That's not possible. No, no. He, first weekend. <laughs> first weekend. You said first round. You I said first round. I corrected myself. You didn't. Jesus Christ. <laughs> He'd be 0-9 That's, if he lost in the Matt first round every you. time. <laughs> but they have a guy who's been proving himself along the way in different stops. And obviously UCLA is a bigger stop than Cincinnati. 
They have the limelight that is L.A. to help with their recruiting, but you can't just rely on it. It can't just be a crutch. It's got to be an also. By the way, with all those other schools are offering and stuff, we also have one of the greatest cities in the world with all the entertainment you could ever ask for in your downtime and offseason. That is overrated for college college. No, players. it is not. Uh, anyways, all right, so we move on to far less contentious uh, schools here. So the second one in our series, we have... The UMass Minutemen of somewhere in the middle of Massachusetts. That's not Boston. I don't remember the city's name. Horrible team name. <laughs> so it's an Amherst. Amherst. About that's forty it. minutes Thank away you. from Boston. That's right. So the obviously the reason why UMass is on here is because when John Calipari was there from 1989 to 96, they were able to accomplish a 73 percent win percentage final four in 1996 five ncaa tournament appearances and five atlantic 10 championships i think that this is just a a a case of a mid-major that had its spark with a coach that was on the up and up but there's no chance they're ever going to be that again no absolutely not you're not going to get back to what john calipari did while at UMass, I mean, you had one of the most entertaining teams of all time with Marcus Canby and the like in uh, 1996. And had they not messed that up and put Kentucky and UMass on the same side of the bracket so that they messed up and met in the Final Four when they were by far, by far, the two best teams in the country that year and should have met for the national championship. (laughs) It was asinine by the committee, whoever was on it back then, to – put them on the same side. I was so pissed as a 14-year-old. I was like, wait, what? Why am I seeing these guys right now? It's supposed to be on Monday. But <laughs> this is an area that doesn't have a ton of great basketball. And UMass could be that one spot that they really do. And un- unfortunately for the people in Amherst, I think they got rid of the guy that could have done it in Derek Kellogg, a guy who played for Calipari and did do well here. off the bat for this team. He had a so-so three final years where he was sitting around 500. But it's Amherst. give the guy the time <laughs> to bring in now. a new – give the guy some time to bring in a new class and see what he could do with it, and you didn't give him enough time. Where you were a number six seed in the tournament in 2014 to being out in 2017, you're just three years removed from having a really good season. Give the guy some time. Let him get a new class in. See what he could do in an area where there's not that much – to fight against in that conference and in the area in general, you know, BC while they're in the ACC, not a good basketball program. The other ones around there, Boston university, and eh, you got to be really freaking smart to go there. But their competition was never any of those schools, their competition, especially when Calipari was there. And Ryan will know this from beef history was UConn and UConn. Oh, absolutely. Well, but, but, to be fair, UConn is idle in the same way. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if UConn is going to be on the series. And I like I honestly, out of anybody in New England, like who is the New England basketball team 
UConn, oh, UConn is the, is the one that, it, that I would think would take that mantle. I don't see how UMass can I understand that. You're not that, getting yeah, everybody UConn. at UConn. UConn's not getting everybody. There are plenty of guys that UConn wanted and didn't have room for who didn't like the fact they, who they'd be sitting behind instead of getting more playing time that UMass could take. And they had a coach, I thought, in Derek Kellogg that could be the guy to bring them back to being a – you know, a team that is sitting around the tournament year in and year out and a decent team in that part of the country. But as you articulated, that region seems like a place that's only really going to support one serious basketball program. And out of there all of them... There are plenty of good the, basketball players in New England that like to stay in New England, and there's not that many options for them. I think Brady is coach. a very good option. But they will be, going, they will be going to BC and UConn way before they wind up going to Amherst Unless there's another John Calipari kind of guy, and the likelihood of that is just too low. So the the reason I'd lean towards yes is like the the accolades you listed off. They're not super impressive. The one thing that you probably won't be able to replicate is the five conference titles, because if you win three conference titles in this area of college basketball, you're probably getting poached. But the highest you know honor or if you want to call it that was or achievement was, that was on that list was they made a final four. And if you're talking about just, will they be ever able to catch a ghost forever is a very, very long time. So I don't see why they couldn't have another two, three, four year run where say they get a guy, not even like Calipari, but say they even pick up a guy uh, like a Shaka smart or like a John Beeline um, at West Virginia, who I don't think he made the final four, but I'm thinking he made the elite eight there. Um, you know, if you get one of those guys for two, three, four years even, and one of those years you have like a really senior heavy team, um, I can see you getting back to that level. But it's not like they're at, you know, terrific heights uh, with just just by the pure um, accolades and achievements that you laid out there. It's much less daunting than trying to, uh, you know, follow up wooden um at ucla because you have to compete with one final four and then you know a, a handful of uh of conference titles i guess it's not it's not the accolades themselves that i think is going to be hard to replicate it's that in that era in the mid 90s umass basketball was relevant it wasn't just that they were achieving things it was that they were talked about that they were a place that was actually you know, attended to. People cared about seeing how UMass and Calipari were kind of coming up. I mean, he was there for seven years. That would never happen now. A guy who was even showing remote signs of succeeding will get poached by a Power 5 conference and, team. Unless your name is Mark Few at Gonzaga. Yeah, but that's the exact same thing see, on the West Coast. But but Mark Few's a different cat. I, I'm, I don't think you're going to see a guy that's a lifer like that. Uh, and even Greg Marshall, who in Wichita State, like he's not going to stay there forever. Guys just don't do that anymore, especially with the kind of money that these schools can offer now. Uh, I'm sorry, but like <laughs> you have Chris Beard, who just he failed, almost failed up basically, and now he's at five mil a year. Like, come on now. I know, but even if even if you're not able to, to to sustain it, like they weren't able to sustain it before, so you can catch it and then theoretically lose it again, and kind of be at the same the same type of you know height or peak that you were at, uh, even when Calipari was there. But yeah, to your point, um, 
I don't think anyone's going to stay there for seven or eight years unless you, you'd have to really hit on a guy who just liked Amherst a whole lot. <laughs> right. All right, well, we move on to one that is just, I would argue, is the most interesting case out of all of these. And I know Matt is going to be have so much insight for us right away. And that is on the UNLV Running Rebels, whose icon was the mafia boss of college basketball, Jerry Tarkanen, who was there from 19... 19- Jerry Tarkanian. Tarkanian. I've heard Jesus Tarkin. Jesus Christ. I've heard Tarkanen. Why are you getting so upset over this man's? Because you can't even respect the legend's name by knowing how to say his respect. name correctly. He's just got Lori Markkinen on his mind. That's right. <laughs> But also, I you say legend, but I would argue there's no man who's more tarnished post-death outside of Michael Jackson than Jerry Oh, T. there's a lot of speculation with not a ton of proof. <laughs> oh, here we go again with this crap. All right, whatever. So, Mr. Tarkadian, he had a, this is absurd, 509-105 and 105 record at UNLV, 12 NCAA tournaments, Four Final Fours and a title and should have been back-to-back, but lost against Duke in 1991. UNLV is a weird weird situation because they are in a spot that could succeed. The problem is, is that they are in a place where they never will because the scrutiny of the NCAA. They, if they spit in a napkin and give it to a recruit, UNLV will be burnt alive. They are lucky that they are not SMU of the basketball world. In fact, they basically are. But please, if you would, Matt, why don't you remind everybody who doesn't know what Jerry T was doing in Sin City? He's biting on a towel most of the time. <laughs> I mean, this is a guy who you talk about a player's coach. Oh. A guy God. who got it with his players. Hey, Jerry Tarkanian him. is the picture in the dictionary this man the love his players have for him is otherworldly and he went into places where other people were afraid to go where it wasn't as safe at night to be going there and he would go into these people's houses and promise to protect these parents children and did and helped guys make something of themselves in ways that a lot of coaches weren't doing for people in these certain neighborhoods at that time. And he won with them and won a lot with them and had one of the most ridiculous teams we've ever seen with the running rebels in 1990, who put up a 30 spot on the Duke blue devils in the national championship game. One Oh three to 73. He left one hell of a shadow in a place that has absolutely faltered since including bringing in legendary names like Massimino like Larry Brown who had his own issues there uh are they ever catching that shadow probably not but this is a place that should absolutely have a good basketball program and I think they will have a good basketball program again uh it is an attractive spot in a lot of ways um, it is a chance to be the king of a conference because they're not in a power five where they're fighting against the likes of names like Kentucky and Florida and whatnot for recruiting. Uh, you're not getting those guys that much in that part of the country. You're fighting a little bit with the pack, but you can fight with the pack because the pack's not stepping up in the time. So there is position for UNLV to make their mark and they might have the guy who has won quite a bit coming out 
of South Dakota State. And TJ Oltzelberger? Yeah, Oltzelberger. he's pretty good. Oltzelberger. Did you yeah, pronounce his good, name right? It's a good last name. <laughs> but this is a guy who has won a lot in a very little Thanos. league, the Summit League, been to back-to-back NCAA <laughs> tournaments, and is coming into a bigger school, but it's not an, oh my God, I'm at this school school. So this is a perfect step for someone like this who can make a name for himself and maybe turn this program around because they need it because they've been through 12 freaking coaches since Jerry Tarkanian has left Sin City. Ryan? So just because of the shoes that they uh, have to fill, they're not going to catch that is too, is too much. The four Final Fours, the national title... It was a 12 NCAA tournament appearances. They're not going to get a guy or even a stretch. Grandma like Ma. Again. <laughs> the the one thing I will say, though, for kind of like just any of these teams or any of these old powers looking to sort of resurrect themselves, if it is going to happen, your next couple of years is probably the best time to do so with Coach K going, with Roy Williams retiring, Tom Izzo retiring. Right, all these older coaches who have been big players in the recruiting circles, and not that a school like Duke or North Carolina won't continue to recruit well, because of course they will, but I don't think it will be on the same level. And a lot of the times when you see these guys post their, you know, top fives, top fours, or whatever on their Twitter, a lot of time it is a random school like a UNLV, uh, like a you know, whoever we just talked, you know, it's like a UMass, like sprinkled into the top five, the top eight. And you're like, you kind of, where the hell does that school come from? Um, but now might be a time for, if you get the right coach and you get one of those guys that can really help accelerate um, your program to where then you can bring yourself back up and then you can burst on the scene again. But with what they have to compete with, uh, the ghosts that they're trying to chase, for me, it's just, uh, it's just too fast and they won't be able to catch them. We come to one that is just, it's so hard to evaluate. The Indiana Hoosiers, whose legend, as we all know, the chair-throwing, gum-chewing, spitting at guys, yelling at players, wouldn't be allowed today, Bob E. Knight, who was there from 1972 to 2000, he racked up an absurd 73.5 winning percentage, 24 NCAA tournaments, five Final Fours, three national titles, including the last NCAA undefeated season in 1976. And the guys that they have, I mean, this is kind of, not murderer's row, but this is a good list of guys since Bobby Knight left in 2000. I thought he had left a little earlier than that. But Dan Dockage as the interim, well, he wasn't smart to be there too long. He was only there for the 07 and 08 part of that season. Uh, Archie Miller, who is there now, he came over from Dayton. Kelvin Sampson, who we know his time there was mired in controversy because of Eric Gordon. Uh, Tom Crean, who I think was kind of unceremoniously dumped because the Indiana faithful's expectations were a little little too high for his run. And the guy who, I'll be honest, I think has been done dirty in a way that is just, just wrong. And that was the guy who immediately followed after Bob Knight. And that is Mike Davis, who only a select few group of individuals are going to even remember this guy if they're Ryan and Mai's age. 
But he was able to come in as a first-time head coach, take over a program from a legend, and in his second year, get to the national title game in 2002. I, and they just didn't embrace him. They, he had such a hard time at Indiana. He resigned in 2006, but finished the season, a class move. And ever since, he's been bouncing around smaller schools. And I think that if Mike Davis had been embraced by Indiana, they would have been just fine. But what they have done is the same thing Nebraska has done post-Tom Osborne. And I don't think Indiana... Uh, they they can get back. They can catch the ghost and they can get back to super relevance. But they got to stop burning bridges and burning guys that want to be there. This one's tough because of the way Indiana fell off. All of the stuff involving Bob Knight, the way he was kicked out of town, and the fact that a lot of people in town don't want to believe it and still argue on behalf of him, and they have never accepted really anyone who has come along. And I think I think this is a situation, and had, had Kelvin Sampson been clean, it might have worked. But he got a little dirty in his second year with dealing with recruits and stuff and did things that he wasn't supposed to, broke NCAA rules, all that stuff, same kind of stuff he was doing in Oklahoma. But North Carolina, it didn't work until they followed up a legend with a guy who was one of the best in the country coming in. And I think Indiana, unless Archie turns it around, um, and he is he is from a good breed of coaching. Uh, you know, his father was a coach and his brother's a coach, and oh, I wonder you know, how you know how to that. coach. Um, so maybe he can, but I think this is a situation where you need someone who has won for a good amount of time at a real program to come in and with his own, his own legacy already, you know, semi intact before taking on Indiana and bringing them back to being considered a blue blood, one of the best in the country as they were for a very long time under Bob Knight. Are you going to have Bob Knight success again? Yeah, it's possible. He, you know, three national championships. It's not unheard of. Uh, we saw, we've seen UConn do it in the last, you know, 20 years. Uh, so it's absolutely possible. It's not a daunting task like UCLA's is. And it's not, it's not a figure like a Calipari at UMass where he was not just bigger than UMass. He was pretty much bigger than the conference UMass was in. And while Bobby Knight was a lot of the face of the big 10, there are other big names in that program as far as schools and coaches that have left their legacy. And Bob Knight's is attainable in that sense of the word. And Indiana, I think can do it, but I think they need, I think they need someone like a Roy Williams prior, you know, excuse me, Roy Williams at Kansas coming in where he has his own mark made already before stepping foot in Bloomington. Yeah. Like a Tony Bennett or something. Yeah. That could work really well, actually. Right. That that's, I, I am all on board for that, Dylan. Uh, well, I'm not because I don't want Michigan State to have to deal with that. But. <laughs> On that side of it, I'm not. But it would be a great move for Indiana for sure. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan what say you? I think they absolutely can get back to that. Indiana does produce a lot of high school talent. And it's easy for me to see a kid you know, falling in love with Indiana and then he grows up and is really good at basketball. So that's where he decides to go. They're in the power conference. If they get a coach that's, you know, just absolute money for them, I don't really see them getting outbid because they are a basketball school. I don't see them allowing themselves to get outbid by somebody else to, you know, try and take their coach away. 
and even a couple years ago when they had uh, Cody Zeller and I think Tom Crane was still coaching. You know, they've had good teams since then. They just haven't been able to get over the hump. But they've had good teams. They've had good players. Uh, you know, Victor Oladipo came out from Indiana. And then a couple years ago, they were ranked, you know, preseason number one. And I know preseason doesn't mean a whole lot. But that shows you what kind of talent, at least just on paper, um, and what kind of team that they're that they can be perceived to have and that they can put together. So I don't think it's, you know, out of the realm of possibility that Indiana does have another run in the next, you know, 10, 15 years or whatever, where they win the Big Ten five out of eight years, go to two or three Final Fours, and don't get a national title. Uh, their team from this list that I don't think is, you know, as dead in the water um, as others might, you know, kind of uh, expect, um, or just as the other teams on the list in general because uh, I do think they have more uh, their their soil right now is a little bit more um, you know a little bit more gracious to them than some of the other teams on the list. Oh, and now we're on to one that is near and dear to my heart because apparently I am the only person that misses the Big East and I hate it. You are all heartless bastards who do not care about the greatest league in basketball history. It's dead and gone, and no one cared. Requiem for the Big East was the best documentary I've ever seen, and in it, we had ourselves St. John's Red Storm, New York's finest. And with it, Matt, help me, I'm gonna ruin this last name. Lou Carneska, is that correct? Lou Carneseca? Sure, Lou Carneseca. But he was there... From 1966 to 70, and then from 73 to 92. Notable because 72.5 winning percentage, 18 NCAA tournaments, a Final Four, and seven Big East championships in the era of Jim Beheim's prime, Georgetown's rise, Villanova's upsets, St. John's was New York's basketball team. And ever since, they have had... Nothing to show for it. They have had embarrassments with what they did to Chris Mullen. I still do not understand what the AD was thinking, deciding to get rid of a, of a program legend like that. But, uh, Matt, does St. John's get back to how they were in the 80s? Does New York finally get a college basketball team again? I mean, they should have had it. They should have had it. They should have had it with Mike Jarvis. They... You, you had it with the right guy who was doing the right things. He brought, you know, I mean, it's not that big of shoes to fill. It's, it's one final four. It's 18 NCAA tournament appearances. Absolutely. But it's one final four. So your shoes aren't daunting to fill that Lou Carnesaca left. He was part of the very entertaining Big East, but he wasn't a championship part of the entertaining Big East. He wasn't up there with Big John and the like who had titles under their belt and multiple championship appearances. It's not that big a shoes to fill, and Mike Jarvis should have been the one to fill them, and he was on his way except for the fact that he got into it with the administration. There was arguments. Resources were needed. Resources weren't given. Stuff was said in the media, and Mike Jarvis was on his way out. And this is a guy who got them to an Elite Eight. Hadn't been there since their Final Four part with Lou Carnesaca. And they had a chance with him. They had a chance with Steve Lavin. Another good coach that came in, brought them to the NCAA tournament, but didn't win enough for a program that outside of one heralded coach didn't win much anyway. And 
they've had their chances at St. John's and they've had great players come through. You know, Chris Mullen, if, I mean, he's the face of that entire school and he had enough of it and wanted to get the hell out after it was all said and done. It's not easy if you're fighting with the administration on how to make your program better. Now, who knows how things are run nowadays, but you had the guy and you kicked him out because you didn't do what he thought was necessary to move this program forward. So can they do it? Sure. But their history since Carnesaca doesn't show me that they're going to do it. For St. John's, I feel like a lot of the appeal, um, you know, back then when they were good was the fact that you got to play in the Big East and it was the best conference in America. And you'd and be, you in New York. Right. And you'd be on TV because everybody wants to watch, you know, your conference play. Now everyone in the conference is pretty bad. And St. John said that is no exception, even though they're still not the best team in that bad conference. So I think there's a, a lot working against them for them to reach that point. They they should be able to be better than what they were um, the last couple of years. But getting back to their peak is something that I think they'll always be chasing. My opinion on St. John's is mired in bias. I love the old Big East so much. I miss it like the, like the sky misses the sun at you night. You miss it? You didn't see it! <laughs> I absolutely did. And don't you dare blasphemize no, You saw that. late versions of the Big I East. I saw just as good versions of the Big East. Don't you dare, sir. Mm. I saw the 6 OT game between Syracuse and UConn. I was in, would have been 8th grade. Game. Yeah, I was up till 2 a.m. The Big East tournament was better than the NCAA tournament for the better part of 15 years. Don't you dare tell me that I didn't see that. It made me like college basketball at all. Even when Michigan State was good, it did not hit me the same way. And where was St. John's with all this greatness of the Big East that you watched? And that is what I was going to get to. Because the crazy part about it is St. John's, number one, they are New York's basketball team. None of the other schools are big enough. None of the other schools are in conferences large enough in order to be relevant. They are still in the Big East. And while it's not the same as it was, that entire conference should be better than what it is right now. I'm deeply disappointed with what's gone on there now this is a school that i will be honest i had no knowledge of and this is where matt's probably going to teach ryan and i the most and that is the arkansas razorbacks where legend nolan richardson who was there from 1985 to 2002 racked up a 69.6 winning percentage with 13 NCAA tournaments, three Final Fours, and an NCAA title in 1994 with the Carlton Banks of the NBA, Corliss Williamson. They're dead ringers Kyle for Lowry. each other. Take a look at it. But the closest guy, and in fact, ironically, the guy who is going to the previously mentioned St. John's, Mike Anderson, was the number one guy who was apparently the closest to getting them to that restorative glory. From 2011 to 2019, he had a 62.4 winning percentage with three NCAA tournaments. I will be honest, I'm not going to have anything insightful to say about Arkansas outside of they're in the SEC, so maybe. But Matt, please teach us the history of this program that I did not know was relevant. Okay, well, the short answer is no. They're never going to get back to what they were under Nolan Richardson. This was the god and... 
He still is. I mean, the places that he still go to in his older age, he's still getting lines of people out there to speak to him. This is the man who invented 40 minutes of hell for the defense that this team played, brought this team to three Final Fours in six years, back-to-back national championship games, a national title in 94, and a loss to 94 feet of heaven that was the UCLA Bruins in 1995. They're in an SEC that is now owned again by Kentucky. That was... In a time period where Patino was bringing Kentucky back, Patino came back and brought them back just as Richardson's run really ended with Arkansas as far as Final Fours was concerned. And this is the SEC you have to deal with now. It's Kentucky and it's Florida and then it's really everybody else. And Arkansas in this day and age is nowhere near attractive enough of a name or a position to usurp Kentucky. Can they maybe get up to Florida? Maybe. I still don't think so, though. So I'm thinking their ceiling is three in the SEC, third best. And maybe that gets you to an SEC title game. Maybe you win one of them. uh, And maybe you make a run to a Sweet 16. But the SEC is tough and getting tougher. And, you know, Calipari put his stranglehold on it with Kentucky. Florida is working their way back. And I just think in their position where it's been so long that the players have no idea about Nolan Richardson, no idea what 40 minutes of hell is. I don't know how they get back to the position that he brought them to where we're talking about three final fours in six years, two national championship appearances and a national championship win. Uh, That's something that while it's not the same shadow that we've talked about with other people is in a position where I don't see the school getting back to it. I'm with Matt on this one, especially echoing the points. Uh, the tougher SEC, right off the top of my head, I can think of five, you know, probably four or five teams that are going to be a problem for him. He mentioned Florida, uh, Kentucky, but also, you know, Auburn, Tennessee are schools that I would think are probably going to be better just at basketball moving mm-hmm. forward. So for Arkansas to get back to a point where they're, you know, national title contenders, I think is uh, too tall of a task for them. After everything I've heard, I mean, that's just... And I'll tell you, the run that they had from 19... Pretty much from 1987 until 1996, which is almost a 10-year period, they were they were really good. They had one, two, four 30-win seasons. That's a fantastic run. Very impressive. And the, you make a great point. The SEC is growing, and it's only going to get better... But uh, also, I didn't know, fun fact, Nolan Richardson was on the uh, the Texas Western team that uh, beat Adolph Rupp. Did not know that. All the more reason for you to like him. Yeah, it's pretty And then solid. he went back to his conference and beat the crap out of Kentucky for a little while. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's not going to happen, though. It's unfortunate. It's but just a the tough SEC. position yeah. for a school like Arkansas. You almost feel bad for them between football and basketball. Like, how do you ever see them getting back, like, getting to, like, prominence of, like, fighting for, you know, the top, even just the top of the freaking conference. Right. Fayetteville's a nice town, but it's in the middle of the mountains. Like, it's not an accessible area. And we move on to our last one. And this one should be real brief because (laughs) Matt already mentioned it. They did it. North Carolina... Going on from the legend himself, the one of the best college basketball coaches of all time, Dean Smith, 
who was able to go 1961 to 1997. He had an 879 and 254 record, 27 NCAA tournaments, 11 Final Fours, and the coveted two NCAA titles in 82 with Michael Jordan, I believe. 82 had James Worthy on him on that team too, right? Yeah, James Worthy, Michael Jordan. Yeah, that's a good uh, ass Ron. team. <laughs> and a couple others also that made the NBA. Ninety three, Rashid. No, Ryan. I don't know. Let me look. I mean, pra- um, Rashid was in the was in the NBA to like two thousand ten. Yeah. So that means he'd have had the what like a seventeen year career. Which no, he might I mean, no, a fifteen year career. If he came in in ninety five, he'd be on that ninety three NC team. Oh, you're right. Um. I don't know, maybe Antoine Jameson? He might be a little too young. No, Jameson was older. Um, Let's see here. You had... This is absolutely a bunch of randos. (laughs) Holy shit. All right, you ready for this? Yep. Is that the team that beat the Fab Five? Yep. This is... Oh, they had the big white dude. Um, The center. George Lynch? Kevin Salvadori? Nope. Matt Wenstrom? No. That's the tallest dude on the team. Eric Montrose. Eric Montrose. Yes. Who the hell is that? <laughs> Eric Montrose had like a 10-year career in the NBA I am, I am, I am telling you right now. This Eric is Montrose the, had, a, he had, a, he had a decent career. This is absolutely the most awful NCAA team from a blue blood I've ever seen. I do not know any of these players. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, that's rough. They went 34-4. That, that team, took down, that team took down the Fab Five. <laughs> <laughs> 34 and 4. This is absurd. Chris uh, Webber should feel fantastic. awful. Yes, he should. Traveled, then called the timeout. They only had two first round picks, and they weren't even in, There was one in the top 10. What is this? All right. Well, getting back to the topic at hand. Oh, I'm so. North I'm Carolina so is the one team on here that chased down the ghost. And that's really tough to say because Dean Smith, when he retired, was the greatest coach in basketball, in college basketball, not named John Wooden. When he retired, that's where he was. He was number two. He was above Bobby Knight despite having one less national championship. It was all the wins, the, the, the appearances in the tournament, the appearances in Final Fours, all that stuff. He was the best when he retired. And they did what exactly what I said, I think, Indiana needs to do. They struggled for a little bit. There were former players that came in and tried to coach this team. Uh, there were, you know, glimpses of good teams followed by miserable teams, single-digit win teams. Holy That's how God. bad and ugly it got for North Carolina at certain points. And eventually they got their guy. They tried to get their guy a few years before. There had been talk of Roy Williams in North Carolina for a few years. And then... Right after Syracuse stole a championship away from Kansas, Carmelo Anthony and uh, whatever that white boy's name was. Um, but Roy Williams <laughs> finally went home and he had proven himself to be a damn good coach at Kansas. One of the best in the country already without that, even without the net, that was, he was like the top of the list of great coaches that didn't have a national championship win. And everyone assumed he would get that at North Carolina, and he has three times. Uh, so he already has one more national championship than Dean Smith. Uh, he's got a few more years left in him with some pretty damn good teams Doubtful. from what we've seen over the last few years. Oh, what, you think his vertigo is going to take him out? Dude, his heat stroke is going to kill him on the court. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But anyway, North Carolina is the one that has taken down the ghost. They have been able to chase it down and get it with a former player that 
kind of really everyone thought was going to be the one to do it anyway, and they've been able to do it. Yeah, I don't understand why they're on the list. They've already done it. And they don't really show any signs of slowing down anytime soon. They were picked to go uh, to the Final Four this year by a lot of people. Picked to win the title this year by a lot of people, too. And, you know, consistently have been one of the best teams in the country and haven't really suffered any type of tremendous fall off. So I don't understand why they're on the list, but they've already caught the ghost. And are Tell you what, it's going to be to see them on this list again when Roy Williams leaves. Well, right, trying to trying to work leaves, on surpassing them. You mean them. dies? Um, but on even the court. going forward, like after after Roy Williams, I don't think they'll really have a problem, um, you know, continuing everything. I think a lot of that does have to do with still with their association uh, with Jordan. It's probably a different topic for a different day, but it, it fits <laughs> into this uh, a little bit. But moving forward, you have you know like that pedestal up there, which I think uh, kids will always gravitate towards. The ceiling is the roof. Man, I, 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 will, I will tell you, though, like, I did not know this, but this, this Dean Smith is a good man. Like, as a, as a dude, apparently when he, when he passed in 2015, he willed $200 checks to every single one of his former lettermen that he coached over, over his entire time in North Carolina. The message apparently said, enjoy a dinner out compliments of Coach Dean Smith. And apparently, also, this, I, I didn't even know these two words existed together. Apparently, North Carolina was an extremely clean program that he ran. He had an, a graduation rate of 96.6%. And apparently, no, no NCAA violations, none of that kind of crap, which is just insane because North Carolina is the pinnacle of blue blood cheaterdom. And also, apparently, he helped to desegregate North Carolina for basketball scholarships for African-American players. So, this dude is an OG. So, good, good on him. The 27 appearances, the 11 Final Fours, the two national championships. Like I said, when this man retired, he was the greatest college basketball coach not named John Wooden. He was just dude. paying kids to stay for four years. Don't That's let those graduation rates fool you. Surprise topic real quick. The U.S. Women's National Team just beat the ever-living crap out of Thailand. 13-0 to open up the Women's World Cup run. They set the record for goals in a game. Alex Morgan, five goals to assist. The most ever by a player in the Women's World Cup. Was that? (laughs) No. Anyway. The five goals was not what you were interested in in her performance. (laughs) (laughs) Players among players among players got a... Goal in this game, seven different players, 13 goals overall. So the women are on their way already and looking like the best team in the country, in the country, in the world when it comes to the soccer pitch and the women. Uh, My question to you guys, 13, nothing. Now I know goal differential matters. Taking that out of the equation where you think 10 would have been enough. Are you of the mind of we've got this game won, let's play everybody. Or are you of the mind of... Keep your foot on the gas, and let's end this damn game. I mean, if you're up 10-0, you should probably take your good players out so they don't get hurt. It's not even a sportsmanship thing. It's just we're not going to lose this game. So I'm not going to sacrifice my best players. Because the other team, you know, the more you score, the more piss they're going to get. 
So who's to say that someone on that team, being a sore loser, doesn't go like straight for the Achilles? <laughs> I don't like that we're even talking about this surprise segment. What is this nonsense? Oh, relax. It's soccer. It's because you're happy. a sexist pig. It's not. <laughs> hey, it ain't the soccer that I watch. All right. Look, they they're good for them. To Why not? Kick this is everybody. one where, where America actually knows what the hell they're doing. That's why I don't want to watch it. Didn't you say like three weeks ago that the U.S. women's team could be any team by men in that the country? That's not what I said at all. In the world <laughs> ever? I No, I said that they could probably beat the USMNT. And the, right now, it sure as hell looks like they could. But not like... I, see, I, have a, I have it right here. It says, take 11 Lionel Messi's and clone them, and the U.S. women's team would beat them. That is absolutely <laughs> not a receipt of mine. So thanks for that. <laughs> appreciate that slanderous lies you you know what you know what if that's a real quote why don't you uh share it to our facebook page at sports carnage podcast all right Just, uh give me a minute I'll get all right. oh yeah the good doctor that crap anyways um i'm of the opinion always have been if you can't stop me if you're not good enough to stop me you can walk off the field they should have scored twenty goals. Like I don't care. This is at the top tier. Oh, they missed. They missed a few chances too. This could have uh, easily. I been don't 16, doubt 17. it. Look, they're super stupid. Good. Like that. The U.S. and Thailand's team. one of the worst in the world to make the World Cup. So yeah. Now we got to remind them where their place is, and that's how sports works. If you can't stop me, tough. Go cry about it while you're trying to get better. All right. Simple as that. But I'm excited for June twentieth because it's Sweden. And anyone who knows women's soccer with America knows that Sweden knocked us out in the Olympics. A shocking, stunning knockout of the best team in the world in the round of 16. Uh, yeah. I got nothing else to add. We need Grizzly. You're the worst. You're the worst. What else is there to add? (laughs) They whip somebody's ass. They're amazing at what they do. And there's not much more to add. Like, they did a good job. (laughs) Shout out Megan Rapino, Freaking OG. That's not the shout-out you gave in the chat uh, about you two hours ago. <laughs> okay, let's go. All right, we on the Grizzly Takes. And tonight, we've got a special treat, because Paul's not here. Uh, <laughs> but we're saving the good ones for him. But this one, we are thinking of, during championship season, great players that never won a championship and whose legacy is so good that it doesn't it isn't tarnished by the fact that they don't have a championship in their respective sports and we are doing one for each of the four major sports so ryan it's summertime we own the diamond the boys of summer are out so let's start with baseball. Who is your greatest baseball player whose legacy is so good it's not tarnished by the fact that they don't have a championship? There is one answer. How is there uh, one answer? There is only so one answer. How is there only one answer? You will see. He's mad. Um, Ken Griffey Jr. is my answer. Damn it. There we go. You son of a bitch. Is that really all of our answers? He's, of look at that. Easy as hell. Like there's there's no, oh my no God. Answers. No one ever disparages him for anything. <laughs> so it's not it's not even a question. He had such a great career. He was clean in an era full of steroid use. No one cares. Hey, as far as we know. Oh, my God. You conspiracy. The, yeah, the steroids asshole. broke down his body. That's why he kept getting hurt. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Uh, d- okay. 
all of us agree on this. It's absolutely grisly. And it's ironic, you know, Ryan, that you say that because you slander this man who would have been the best baseball player ever. I do not. He's just not better than Barry Bonds. But he certainly certainly had a better reputation than Barry Bonds, which was the question. If he had not gotten hurt, he absolutely Barry was better. Before Griffey got hurt. All right, whatever. You know, whatever, dude. It, absolutely grizzly. There is no other answer to this. Okay, it's absolutely grizzly. There are other answers to this. False. But it's absolutely grizzly, as Ken Griffey Jr. survived being scoped out in the steroid era. Um, do we know for sure? No. But he survived the, uh, the witch hunt that was out there for everyone else and was... The biggest thing in baseball, as far as a single player was concerned, at the height of, you know, video games coming into really into mainstream in the 90s, the hat backwards, the home run derby, playing with his dad, home runs in the same game with his dad, all that stuff, uh, you know, it, it was it was the kid, and he was the kid, and his swing was emulated again and again and again. Uh, he was just universally loved, and was un- unfortunately, you know, semi-cut down by injuries at his time in Cincinnati. Uh, but this is one of the greatest to ever step to the plate and one of the most recognizable to boot. Swing man. Look, just because you guys both went with Ken Griffey Jr. and I thought he was you up there doesn't mean the only answer. Shut <laughs> up. All right. You did there too. is a man who played his entire career in San Diego, I finished with care. a batting average of like 388, led the Padres to two World Series appearances. Yawn. Trevor Hoffman. Lost to the Tigers in 1984 for our most recent Good. World Series. You're really talking about this stuff. Do you even know who I'm talking about? No, and I don't care. You don't even know who I'm talking about. You don't exactly. even know who Tony Gwynn is, I do, which is actually. a crying freaking <laughs> shame because he's one of the greatest, nicest ambassadors for any sport ever with over 3,000 hits, a 15-time All-Star, an eight-time batting champion, how many, finished how, how with many a 338 average. He has a record Excuse still, me? right? He has the record for stolen bases still, right? I thought Who Ricky does? Henderson had the record. Ricky Henderson has it by like 500 stolen bases. Oh, I had the wrong. I, <laughs> I, I, Rick, I Ricky the, Henderson has I, I more had stolen bases guy. in a season than I, Ken Griffey has over his career. I had the wrong West Coast black Gwen. man. That's my bad. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving on to the ice. Ryan, who's your greatest <laughs> hockey player whose legacy is not tarnished by not having a championship this is gonna be beautiful. so i cheated because i don't know the history of hockey but right now all i hear about is Connor mcdavid and he does not have a nhl stanley cup yet but i googled him very quickly because i had heard of him i just wanted to see kind of what a situation was and the first thing that popped up on google was five ways Connor mcdavid is exactly like wayne gretzky i was like well that's that's easy enough for me So I know he's young, which is probably the reason he doesn't get scrutinized, but right now he seems to be the the player skating by with the reputation um, of, you know, greatest in the world, greatest of all time, and he doesn't have a Stanley Cup. Not yet. Ah, well, it's cuddly. Because, number one, he has a lot of time still, but also his reputation has been not great because of how Edmonton has gone. Now, part of it is not his fault, 
but he was supposed to be the world breaker, the Sidney Crosby, uh, uh, the new guy, and he hasn't really lived up to that to the point that he should. Part of it is Edmonton's ineptitude, but part of it is just he hasn't performed up to the way that he should. So I will say Cudley. It's Cudley just because his career is not done. We have no idea what it's going to end up being, but it's all said and done. And there are names out there whose careers are long done, who are great ambassadors in the game, still doing great things and have a good legacy. Man, Matt, Matt Carroll, he's going to be running a sports UN. He keeps talking about ambassadors. But my guy is somebody who did a power play in hockey in the same fa- – not, sorry, not actual power play, but like a uh, – a draft power play. Uh, you're going to pay me or... <laughs> right. Yeah, well... Or trade me power play. The, it was kind of like that. He pulled himself uh, a, a John Elway. And it's Eric Lindros, who I have heard nothing but great things, played for Philly. Uh, I, he was, I believe he was either number one or number two drafted overall. He was a really solid player, though. And I haven't heard any sort of negatives detracted from him for not get, getting a cup. But, uh, yeah, Lindros was the best player that I saw who didn't have a ring, and I didn't immediately think, you know what? That's unfortunate he didn't get one. So Uh, so you say Eric Lindros pulled the power play of, say, an Eli Manning, where he said, don't draft me because I ain't going to play for you. Who was the team he wouldn't play for? Yeah, I believe it was Quebec. Let's see here. The Nordiques? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was drafted by the Nordiques and then was traded to Philly. Yep, that was it. Yep. Ah, and then I believe lost to the Red Wings in 1997 yep. for the Stanley Cup. I believe Eric Lindros was on that squad. Uh, yes, Wayne Gretzky yes, won eight Hart trophies in a row. Yep, uh, Wayne Gretzky, insane. Despite what two of our freaking cohorts say, is arguably the greatest hockey player of all time. He is not. Arguably, he's won eight. Thank eight you in for a row. Up there with Bobby playing. Orr and. Gordy Howe. Gordy Howe is the best player. There is no discussion. Thank you for playing. Okay, sure. 50 goals in 39 games says what? (laughs) It's Cudley. There's better names than Eric Lindros out there. Uh, I feel like you going with a guy who pulled a power play when he hadn't stepped foot on the ice yet by telling teams don't draft him and then saying he's got a great reputation. It's a little interesting. Uh, But since he got into the game and went out, uh, there has not been much heard about him as far as any kind of scandals, so I'll give you that point, but there are better names out there, and I'll tell you who in a minute. Spoilers. It's Cudley. I've heard his name before, but not in the discussion of one of these all-time great players, even though he might be, but he just doesn't <laughs> get, get that right. fan. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Matt, go ahead. All right. This man dropped 50 goals in 49 games. The only 49 games he played that year, because he missed a whole bunch of games with being hurt, was drafted ninth overall by the Canucks in 83, was not given much playing time, was bitched about by his front office and coaches, and traded to the Boston Bruins in 1987, I believe, and went on to lead this franchise all-time in playoff goals with 55, had to leave his career early but came back as a front office man from VP to president to still being there, helping them win a cup in the front office. Cam Neely with no scandals, no dirt, nothing but grit and heart and respect by all the other greats in the game. 
and stepping up two years after he's done in the front office to help the Boston Bruins get back to where he couldn't get them as a player. Almost did a couple times. Couldn't quite get it done. Got it done as a front office man and is on the verge of getting it done again if things go the way the Bruins hope uh, tomorrow night in Boston. Oh, uh, Cudley. Because I don't know who that man's is. Oh, that was it? Damn. All right. It's absolutely grizzly. Neely's one of the best. (laughs) Neely is one of the best uh, front office executives that there is in the NHL. Uh, He's done a great job resurrecting Boston. And everywhere I've ever read, the dude is near the top of guys who have not had rings in the NHL. Uh, Grizzly, for sure. All right, we go from one sport where they're still playing their finals to the other one. We go to the hardwood. Ryan, who is your greatest basketball player when it comes to legacy who's not tarnished by not having a ring? So... This guy's legacy is aided by the fact that he's on TV pretty much every day now. You freaking dick! And NBA, <laughs> NBA Twitter, at least every two or three weeks, you'll uh, you'll see a tweet. Never forget how good Prime this player was, and then a whole bunch of retweets. Kobe came out and said he's the hardest dude that he's ever had to defend. Uh, but Tracy McGrady is a guy that got a lot of flack oh, for his his like playing career, um, for you know not being a winner. Ever since his playing career ended, he's been nothing but hailed as, you know, one of the better players of his generation, regardless of, you know, rings that he did or didn't win, which is crazy. Because even in Orlando, I think he only got out the first round, like, once. And he tried to ring chase at the end there with San Antonio the year that they lost to, uh, the year that they lost to Miami. Um, But Tracy McGrady, every day on TV, he has a, a tremendous legacy now. All you see is highlights of him on the jump and everything else. So that's uh, that's my answer. He's had a pristine legacy somehow because he's likable. Uh, 100% cuddly. Uh, huge criticism throughout his career was that he couldn't get out of the first round. That haunted him. So regardless of your personal opinion of whether he's a good player or not, it cannot be argued that it didn't hurt his legacy. It absolutely affected him. And not even just a title. Just getting out of the first round. It, it, it haunted him forever. Not right now it doesn't, though. Uh, it, it absolutely like, did for Like, it did during time. his playing days, but now it's... Nah. Like, I think t- it's because he's not as relevant, it. but it still hurts his legacy as a basketball player. Cuddly. Nah. God, this one's hard. This one's really hard. It's, it's not who told, talks shit about Tracy McGrady in the last five years. Oh, nobody. nobody. No, in that sense, it's grizzly. No, absolutely. In that sense, it's absolutely grizzly. And people want to remind you know people that you know when Kobe was doing what Kobe was doing, there was one other player doing it, and it was T-Mac. Uh, but Dylan has good points. There was a lot of talk of McGrady not being able to get out of the first round. And then when you know they had the Pistons down 3-1, and the Pistons made the move to put Tayshaun Prince on McGrady, and it turned the entire series around. There was more talk of they let a rookie, second year, whatever. No, rookie, I think, at the time. Yeah, you know, shut this man down, and the Pistons end up winning that series. And that didn't help him at all either. And there was talk at the time. But I think what helped him is what hurt his career. All the injuries. And now all the sympathy came with the fact that this is one of the best in the game on the basketball court. 
who is having his career taken away by back problems, by knee problems, by missing game after game and going to team after team near the end of his career uh, just to try to extend his career. And I think that helped a lot, along with the fact that he was one of the best during his time. When he was at his peak, he was one of the best. And it's not forgotten, but the first-round exits definitely hurt that legacy where the injuries kind of help it because a lot of sympathy came with it. Well, mine is one that I would argue is just un, undisputed with Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless. But uh, that would be the absolute legend himself, the sharpshooting man, the graduate of Eastern Michigan, George Gervin. His, his reputation as one of the most lethal shooters in NBA history, has not been tarnished because he didn't have an NBA ring. If I were to ask you whether or not George Gervin had a ring, you would probably veer on the side of yes. And he played for San Antonio for for a long time, and he never got a ring, but it never detracted from his legacy. And to be fair, that is a theme with a lot of older players because of just how crazy stacked the cards were against anybody that wasn't Boston or L.A., but uh, George Gervin is my number one guy. All right. Well, f- first of all, if you'd have said, does George Gervin have it a ring? I'd say no, because he played his entire career with the Spurs, and the Spurs didn't have Dick until 1999. Uh, he was Preach. one of the hot things and one of the reasons the NBA-ABA merger happened, because he was that damn good. Uh, he was a phenomenal scorer and helped lead the Spurs to mediocrity for year after year after year. But he had a great nickname. He's the Iceman. He's one of the best players of his era when it comes to the split in the 70s and the 80s. And the only problem I have with it is that how much of a legacy does he really have today? There are other legends of that time period that have a larger legacy than George Gervin. So maybe him having not having a title does hurt his legacy a little bit. Um, so I'm going to say Grizzly only because it's a lot of the same argument that you can make for T-Mac. The only difference is back then we don't know what the streets were saying about George Gervin as those series were happening and as he was, of course, not winning shit. Um, but now, you know, as time passes, you look at his individual stats, you, you know, find out from other players because other players are never going to say, well, he didn't win a ring, so he's not great. Right, they're going to respect the fact that whenever they went out and played with the Iceman, you know, he he usually busted their ass. So they're going to respect that fact. They're always going to, you know, hype him up and talk him up. So when you get, especially to a point like now, you know, in 2019, and this dude played in the 60s, the 70s, or wherever, like I said, we weren't around back then to know what people were saying about him at the time. So now all everything that we've heard for, you know, 20, 30 years is all good things. You know, he was such a great player, Hall of Famer, one of the best scorers ever. So that's what's boosting his legacy is really probably just the time that's happened because I don't know how people viewed him back then. But it's absolutely grisly because I've never heard anyone say a bad thing about him. So, Ryan, when you started going off, I screamed, which was audible and everyone heard that because I thought we were going in the same direction. Thankfully, we were not. While this man had some tarnishing during his career for off-the-court stuff. I think he has helped his image and legacy tremendously since his career ended by being on TV all the time. And I have touted this man before. 
I think he is one of the four or five greatest power forwards I've ever seen play. He at a, at the fact that he was only six foot six and pulling down even with his career done, almost twelve rebounds per game, twenty two plus points per game, and unfortunately for him, came up when Bird's era was at its peak, Magic's era was at its peak, and it flowed right into Jordan's era. And it is the round mound of rebound. We all love him on TNT. Charles Barkley. Because this man got close in 1993 with the Phoenix Suns. Got close a few years with Philadelphia. But never could quite do it. Joined Houston just a little too late to join uh, Clyde Drexler, who got his ring finally in 1995. Uh, Chuck came the next year. Got oh so close multiple times. But... The fact that you played in the same era as Bird and Magic, Isaiah, and Jordan. You're a dream teamer. You're one of the greatest power forwards of all time. And you did it while being four inches shorter than everyone else playing the same position. And you're one of the greatest scoring power forwards to go along with the fact that you were pulling down 13, 14 rebounds per game in certain seasons. Uh, I think this man's legacy is, despite what Shaq says all the damn time to him, I think it's brushed off by most fans about how great Charles Barkley really was. Absolutely disagree. That one is super cuddly. Charles Barkley, like the single defining point of his career, and it's not fair, is the fact that he didn't win a title or best player to never win a title. But there's always that, oh, hey, Charles Barkley, yeah, definitely didn't win an NBA championship. Because Shaq, and whether, that's just Shaq and whether being a dick. It's, no, and whether it's Shaq every Thursday during the NBA season saying, hey, I got four and you got zero, always, if you're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, whatever, if there's a clip of Charles Barkley posted, always one of the first most liked comments. Like this comment if you have as many NBA championships as Charles Barkley. Oh, 9,000. People being assets. <laughs> right, but that's part of his it's, legacy. That's what defines Charles Barkley as a basketball player. Is the ass fact hats that on Twitter? He, that he, no, that he doesn't have a ring. Everybody knows it. Every yeah. single person that knows about Charles Barkley knows that he is without a championship. No, no, no. The whole so younger generation who's seen nothing legacy. but TNT know he doesn't have a championship. The people who and saw him and played know. with him knows how unbelievably great he was despite not having a championship. Everybody knows he doesn't have a title. I'll tell you what, though. And they always bring it up. You wouldn't have imagined this, but he averaged five assists in 1993 with the Suns. That's crazy. For a power forward? Mm Mm-hmm. That's some some good stuff. I mean, he was an NBA MVP. He was a fantastic player. Yeah. But the the question wasn't greatest player to never win a title. Whose legacy has not been hurt by it. And Ryan's right. It's absolutely cuddly. His name will always be associated with that over probably any other player in all of sports. But that doesn't mean it can be both things. Because his legacy as a basketball player can be tarnished by it insurmountably to where he is obviously not the choice for this uh, subject. But also his time as an analyst in NBA has made him as a basketball figure in the culture of basketball much better in spite of that fact. So so moving on to our fourth and final sport, the biggest sport in this country, the sport that all of us cannot wait to get back on the field come August, September. The gridiron, Ryan, and I'd be, I'm, 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 I'd be shocked. I think we're all going to have the same answer, but we might not. Who is your greatest player legacy who is not tarnished 
by not having a championship? So for me, in the answer, uh, rewind. So for me, for football, it's really easy. This is another person whose legacy has been helped by TV tremendously because when he played, people could not stand this man. Uh, whether it was in uh, Minnesota, Oakland, um, or even the Patriots, you know, he got a, a, go. a bit of a rehab, and then he went to there the Niners, back to the Vikings. But Randy Moss, there one go. of the best receivers ever. Maybe the fact that he plays receiver helps, um, too, because you don't really expect a receiver to win you a Super Bowl. But now he's viewed as, you know, one of the greatest receivers ever. Most people probably have him number two behind Jerry Rice which is fine. I think he's better. It's, it's a different argument, though. Um, but like I said, when he played, much like, like a guy like Allen Iverson, who he was constantly just berated uh, a lot deservedly for things that he did, things that he said, and just kind of, you know, the way that he carried himself. Um, but I was always a big fan of him. But having his personality shine through on TV, and granted he looks a little bit uh, more clean cut, so I think people are – more, you know, open to him seeing, like, the fun that he has uh, when he's on ESPN, you know, doing Monday Night Football coverage, you know, whatever it is, Sunday NFL Countdown. Um, a lot of people love Randy Moss now, which has helped his legacy tremendously, even though when he played it wasn't, you know, it really wasn't good at all. I mean, we both agree. And the NFL is one that, while there are a lot, there's a lot of really good players on here that, like, I don't think – their legacy has been tarnished a lot. It's absolutely Randy Moss. He is the best receiver in NFL history. And if you think otherwise, you're wrong. But also, he single-handedly did lead a lot of teams to postseason at the very least. But that 2007 New England team, obviously Tom Brady was a big portion of that. But I would argue that Randy Moss was just as vital to them being undefeated. He had 23 Touchdown reception. 23. That's insane. That is, oh man, that's just an unfathomable fathomable number for me. But I will say the biggest thing that helps him out 100% is when people hear him talk. When you hear that West Virginian accent coming out of him and he's all smiles and joking around, that you would, he could pants you right on live TV and you wouldn't care what that stupid grin is. But uh, yeah, it's absolutely grisly. You got mossed. I'm going to preface this with the fact that I'm a big fan of that country-sounding bumpkin from Rand University you are in West so Virginia. Lies, but Boo. you are picking a man Boo. who this caused man. problem after problem with Minnesota, quit oh. on his team in Oakland, oh and needed the Patriots to save him, what and needed you? Wes Welker getting the bulk of the load as far as catches to help save him as well, and still couldn't get it done. With the greatest team of all time. He scored the go-ahead touchdown. Absolutely cuddly. It is not Randy Moss. The man caused so many problems. There is absolute issues with his legacy. And you are both out of your mind. The correct answer is the silver freaking bullet number 20 for our Detroit Lions who played the game the right way scored a touchdown handed it to the ref went to sleep on the sidelines and when it came time to end his career as simple as he could possibly say it my desire to not play is stronger than my desire to play 
He is the greatest running back to never win a championship. He was on the worst set of teams for any great player ever. Everyone always said if you gave him an O-line, if you had switched him and Emmitt Smith, he would have destroyed Walter Payton's record by about 8,000 yards. He was that damn good. And he was absolutely the greatest legacy that cannot be tarnished and hasn't been tarnished since his career has been done. Some home-cooking shit. It is not. Not when the guy ran for 1,500 yards a season plus while leading the league in negative yards because his damn O-line was so trash that it might as well have been the three of us blocking for him. Yeah, that's cuddly. And not that Barry's career has been tarnished because he didn't win a Super Bowl, but right now Randy Moss has he just has more fanfare than Barry Sanders does because you see him all the time. And nationally, of course. Here, locally is Barry all day forever. But he his legacy is You know there's a 30 for right 30 on his Randy so-called Moss. legacy, right? <laughs> there's a 30 for 30 on Randy Moss. Yeah, that's what I mean. His legacy with issues with colleges picking him and dropping him for problems that he had, for issues in Minnesota. For, and what issues, does that have to do with him not winning you don't a title? Think, you don't think that helped him? That doesn't tarnish a legacy? We're not that's talking whole, about off the field. We are. We're talking Randy about Moss his legacy. Talking. His legacy is all encompassing. But we're not talking about it's, whether talking about his, his legacy off the right field. now. Yeah, and on top of that, oh man, whatever. It's you, Brian. Did he's you say for his TV stuff? So is Ray Lewis, and he freaking killed a guy. Yeah, that's and that not, is not even, slanderous because they Ray Lewis won a title. In no, so and, and also in out. fairness, they're not even remotely comparable because people hate Ray, Ray Lewis compared to Randy Moss. It's not they even do. close. There's a, there's a lot of people that hate Ray Lewis. A lot, including myself. But, regardless, <laughs> it's absolutely cuddly. Barry Sanders is constantly known as a quitter, and I don't care whether you play for the Lions or not. There have been... Uh, d- look, David Carr was... Uh, I, yeah, David Carr was able to literally have his body shattered because the Houston Texans didn't have a line for him. Barry Sanders decided to quit on the Lions... That is it. After that 10 is, years, it's I not quitting. I don't care. That's still quitting. It is still quitting. The way he it went out. It is not quitting. There are people in this very city that still hold it against him. In the same Their vein as what hurt. happened with Calvin. I don't, look, I don't care. That doesn't, cha- that doesn't change the fact that because he didn't bring the city anything, it hurts his legacy. Randy Moss is not the case. You have everybody of our generation, at least, your old ass, may be different. But for Paul, Ryan, and myself, I can't think of an actual football so fan. So the Twitterverse generation is the only one that I'm not ta- I ain't talking about Twitter because I ain't on Twitter, so shush. You are part of the Twitterverse generation. Fuck so that's that. the only one that matters when it comes to legacy. Out of all of us, Not what one of us is on Twitter. Look, it's about a legacy which is during and after. And the legacy right. he has and is during the best was receiver in the NFL. And it's not because his legacy is... You see, this is the thing that you're contorting arguments. Because the argument of his off-the-field stuff may tarnish his legacy, but it still doesn't have anything to do with our topic. Our topic is titles. And his behavior has nothing to do with the titles. It doesn't. So if you want to make that argument, fine. Not in this argument, though. It is cuddly. Barry's is literally the same. He was stuck on one of the worst teams in football, basically year after year, with a no-talent quarterback year after year, and led the league in rushing by a wide margin year after year. Okay. 
That's fine. It still hurts that he doesn't have a title. Randy Moss don't give him. He's out mm, there just making West no, Virginia dances. And You're shit. out of your mind if you think it hurts Barry's legacy that he doesn't have a title. Much it's more literally than Randy Moss everyone. Does. Uh, actually, no, because people say we understand. They don't say we understand with 2007. They don't. They don't. The biggest asterisk ever is that 2007 team that went 18-0 and and then lost the Super Bowl. And who was on it? Randy frickin' Moss. It wasn't How do you lose fault. that Super Bowl with Randy frickin' Moss? Why don't you ask everybody else around him? You sure shit wasn't his fault. Anyways, close this out. All right, well, we ain't going to agree on this one. It just ain't going to happen. I respect the hell out of Randy Moss, but I think his career is tarnished by the fact that he did not get a ring with the team that went 16-0, the only team to go 16-0 in the regular season in NFL history, and then lost in the championship game because their O-line could not block to save their life. And Tom Brady, who threw for 50 touchdowns that year, was running for his life and couldn't get the job done. The defense couldn't hold the lead. And Eli Manning is in our lexicon as a two-time Super Bowl winning MVP. And that is, you know what? I'm going to put that on Randy. That's Randy's fault. Yeah, I said it. Anyway, we done wow. for the night. <laughs> for Dylan, He's going for to Ryan, to I'm Matt. To go ahead and touch on. <laughs> Two minutes left. We are Sports Carnage. Oh, we'll be back yes. to you next week.